after that, we spend some time in Airpike. Yes. And Celine gets to pull some pranks. <laughs> yes. And one of them was really good, and the other ones... Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think the cage... Oh, the cage. Like, everyone loved the cage. The, the, the cage was great. The cage was amazing. It got a little out of hand, though. With the two hospitals. With the hospitals. <laughs> and, like, this was when... This is kind of when I thought maybe, Jess, you should be in on the retrospective because you had thoughts about the hospital pranks. I I don't know if anyone listening to this knows, but I if I ever knew Celine in real life, I would slap her in the face. <laughs> a lot of people would. Even people that yeah, like her would. I, I could not stand her, could not be around her, and this going to the hospital... For the express purpose of one-upping doctors who are trying to do their jobs and take care of people in ways that you can't just heal with magic is uh, bad. It's yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. And this was a, a moment, like, because yeah. I remember when we were playing this, I was having so much fucking fun. But I think I was having fun coming up with like how am I gonna pull off this really dramatic prank how I'm gonna how am I gonna make this really yeah dramatic and 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 stuff like that was this I thought was this when she burst into one of the hospitals and made loud noises and shit yeah mm-hmm. yep I thought that was earlier I mean she's I mean <laughs> but like, I think she's probably done it several times I think, she, yeah it's just like so everything's melting together. she did it once up in Clearwater mm-hmm. um or no, she didn't. She didn't. She, do it didn't, in, she, didn't, she, she was, was playing. Nice she was playing. Ni- she, she was playing she nice was in Clearwater. Qu- quote, air, scare quotes. Playing nice, right. In Clearwater, and that was the reason that she was such a shit. Here was because it's like I played nice, and they were mean to me. So now I'm going to play mean, and then maybe, maybe then they'll pl- they'll probably still be mean to me, but at least I will have some fun. <laughs> and so this was a time I remember that like I kind of had I don't want to say like had a crisis of faith, but I had like this. Oh my god. Because I remember really liking that part when we mm-hmm. were playing and thinking that was great. And like listening to it again, I was kind of like reliving like, oh my gosh, this is so much fun. This is so much fun. And then it gets released and Jess is like, this sucks. This is bad, actually. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's bad. Is it bad? But I liked it. It was good. Wait, was it good? Let's just burst into a hospital really loud and doing all this prank shit with people who may have PTSD from war wounds and yeah. bounty hunting and being out in the wild fucking west and, you know, they're probably trying to convalesce and, like, relax and, or maybe they just got out of surgery and they're like, I hate being in the hospital. I really hate being in the hospital now this bitch is here. <laughs> again. I think I, I this was a moment, this was a moment for me where it's like, okay, I need to learn to take criticism, like, and not just criticism on stuff that, like, I agree was bad and that we should have changed, but, like, criticism on stuff that I thought, I initially thought was actually good. And so it was also kind of a learning experience about that there's a lot of nuance to this project, that balancing playing a TTRPG, role-playing in the moment, and then, like, releasing a heavily edited version of the games to the general public, there's a lot to balance. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot to balance with this project. Yeah. And, like, also, like, big picture versus, like, micro picture. And for me, I know the end of Celine's story. I know everything that happens. So, like, going back and seeing her before she gets the development that she gets before the end of the entire story, it's a lot to balance both 
practically and also mentally. And so it was a moment of like, okay, I got to learn to take criticism. And it's been a journey. I'm sure it will continue to be a journey. This was kind of when I was like, I kind of want Jess to be in on the retrospective because their feedback has been invaluable this season. And in thinking about not just this is good or this was this this is good and this this part this part is good and this part is better. No, this part was bad, even though your memory of it is really good. I I feel it's definitely one of those things that had this just been a game, it would have been fine. It would have been fine. It it's would have been a fun thing that's just like, yeah, Celine did that. <laughs> and, and it would have been fine. We would have moved forward from it. but And I would have just remembered, oh, that was really funny. Yeah. And, I mean, it works kind of, it still kind of works in the story because I think at this point she was still, like, fey-brained from mm-hmm. Hugging the Crystal, yeah. She was. I will say that I feel like, l- looking back on that, I feel like I downplayed a lot of people's reactions to Celine doing you this. Just kinda, you kind of went along. You were in the, like... Or you purposely put her in situations where she was going to do be stuff. a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you purposely made people, like... Purposely aggravate her so that she you would get that reaction of, like... Well, yeah. I'm going to... Now, well, now I'm going to scale you. <laughs> yeah. So. So. But that's the thing that, that Celine... It's still works within the story because I think anyway, even though this was a misstep on our part and if we could go back again we'd probably rethink that part. As it is now, I still think it works because like I said, Celine has Fabrain and she also this is kind of how she asserts control over situations. And it's not a good way to assert control over situations, but it's how she does it sometimes is to be like, okay you're going to think I'm creepy, so I'm going to just turn it up to 11 so that now I have the control over the situation. And the thing is, if she had walked in there and been normal and fine, they would not have thought she was creepy. They would have welcomed the help. Yeah, that's the thing. Is that? But she's. this comes from childhood trauma yeah. of, of being ostracized. And so it's... <laughs> Which I remember talking to you about. I'm like, Celine has trauma. Like, I know, and I was like, what? No, she doesn't. Uh-huh. And then I was like... Megzi, her whole story is trauma. Fuck. Like, yeah, she's she's a little BPD. Yeah, which was, I remember talking to you about that, and I was like, do you think Celine has BPD? And you were like, yes. And I was like, 100 fucking percent. Ooh, that's interesting. Full disclosure, you have BPD. I have, I have borderline personality We're disorder. not just throwing around diagnoses. And I don't actually, I don't feel really feel comfortable saying that like Celine canonically has BPD, but she definitely expresses BPD traits. That was interesting for me to think about. And again, having a listener, like being able to analyze things from an outside perspective was really interesting to me to be like, yeah, she has that like intense, like need for control, the intense emotions, feeling things all the time. And she kind of does the splitting thing. And needs to be liked in a specific way. Yeah. So that was an interesting thing for me to think about as the creator of this character. And it goes back to that thing of like, no matter what you do, you'll always put a lot of yourself into your characters. I did not intend for Celine to have BPD traits, but here she is. She it's- also does the, the well, 
I'm afraid someone's going to leave me, so I'm just going to be an asshole, and then I'll be right. Yeah. Because I'll make them leave me, and then I was right the whole time I'm going to be abandoned. Because she's terrified that Talia's going to leave her. Yeah, at this point. For multiple reasons. Yeah. But, like, she's she's scared that this fairy thing is going to drive everyone that she cares about away. Yeah. Which is why I like stuff that happens later where people are like, listen, girl, <laughs> little girl, it is what you make of it. I am not a little girl, I am 22. Oh, God. So, <laughs> so an infant. A baby. <laughs> yeah, that was just, like, incredibly obvious to me mm-hmm. from the beginning of the show. Yeah, that she, was, that she was BPD? Yeah. And it wasn't just, like, it, it wasn't just because you were playing her mm-hmm. and I knew that you had it, but that she was exhibiting behaviors of someone who is scared of being abandoned. Mm-hmm. Which, which makes sense because when we started recording this, I had just gotten my BPD diagnosis and was kind of working through what that meant for me now. It was, it was, a great, it was great because when I got my diagnosis, it was great because suddenly I have words for what I'm experiencing. I'm not just broken, but it was also a lot of, okay, now how do I address this? How do I work through the symptoms of BPD that have been making my life miserable? So it makes sense that I would end up projecting some of that into the character that I was playing. So Yeah. And I think that, honestly, like, the way that Celine progresses mm-hmm. is good, actually. Because when you look at the actual amount of time we have in this story, this is what? What time since the beginning of this story is it several months? Um, mm-hmm. The story... Death House happened in May, and at this point, we are in October, October November, yeah. yeah. So it hasn't even been a year. Yeah. And all of this crazy shit has happened to her. The fact that she's developing it all and not regressing is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, of course, she's going to, and I hate using this term because it makes her sound like a child, act out. Yeah. And do shit that isn't good for her or good for anyone else around her. She's got to work through it, though. Yep. And it it sucks that it, you know, it's at the expense of other people. But the way that it's handled with the characters that are actually close to her is also good. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily encouraged, but she's not berated for behaving in that way. Yeah. And I think that would, if she had been berated for behaving in that way, I think it would have driven her further into that behavior. I think so, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's very much, and that, and that's not a BPD thing. That's just a general that's just spite a, thing. That's, that's just a spite is the best human motivator. nature thing, for lack of a better word. Overall, if you look at it as a whole story, yes, like it works and is good. But I think I think the the framing of that scene in particular was the issue that I I took because it was very much framed in the editing and the music and the reactions of the NPCs as funny. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it wasn't funny. And I think what would have been really interesting is if it had been framed in a not funny way. Mm-hmm. If it had been framed as, no, this is like, we don't get cute little like bloop, 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 bloop type music. <laughs> like to accompany this goofy thing that she's doing. If we get like actual like serious or like serious reactions from people and like this affects her whole, this affects her reputation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because like... The Wanderer and White walking into a hospital should be a really good thing. Yeah. And it wasn't. And that should really have hit her reputationally. Yeah. And Talia, too, because Talia is associated with her. Pretty much anyone who associates with her should be hit by that. And you should have felt that ripple. Yeah. Because then 
it would have been more like it would have had more consequences. Right now, she's very much doing consequence-free misbehavior. Yeah, and I think that's a D. I think that that's another carryover from D and D. That was something that I actually brought up with Molly a little bit later when I was recognizing they don't have much in the way of consequences yeah. for you some can, of their you, actions. You can give us consequences. I had to actually physically tell her, like, if someone does something dumb, please give them consequences. They can't just run around willy-nilly. NPC will remember this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Like, um, And we have a more kind of open, like, kind of a... Um, our playing style, we have more of a dialogue with the DM mm-hmm. just because we're making this into, you know, a, a show for consumption. So... If you're like, okay, I'm going to give you consequences for this. Do you want to rethink that maybe? And mm-hmm. then we would have be like, okay, how is what kind of TV would this make? And so, or how would the character behave? How would yeah. the character? Behave? I don't necessarily care about how good the TV is. I care about staying true to the characters. And I think you guys are, you're both really excellent at staying true to your characters. You might sometimes stay true to the more extreme parts of them, but. You're very good at sticking to the motivations that the characters have, not only in the moment, but overall. Uh, at the same time, though, we have had situations where in the moment you recognize that what the character would do or what you feel the character would do in this exact moment might not necessarily be the best thing to move the story forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that we've slowed the play down at that point and worked out like, okay, so how can... The character react that is still in character, but will also move the story forward. That's not going to grind everything to a screeching halt because I hate the, well, it's what my character would do. This is a general conversation about tabletop role-playing games, but the, it's what my character would do. People have multiple paths in a moment, and everyone has the opportunity to move in several different directions when they're given something to react to. And this is the nature of being a complex human being. So you can have very boring reactions to things. Mm-hmm. Like, Celine, here's a book. Celine reads the book. Nothing fucking happens. <laughs> Celine, here's a book. It's about something crazy. Celine reacts to the book. So you can, you can flavor things to create a reaction that is still what the character would do, but isn't. Just for the purposes of moving the story along. Mm-hmm. You can you can reimagine how the situation is presented to the character. And it, it's the exact same situation, just tilted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, which is another thing that I think makes this form of storytelling really an, an interesting vehicle for storytelling. So we move on from Air Pike after scaring a bunch of people. For better or worse. Yes. And go in search of something that was actually mentioned way back in season (laughs) one. Season one! In Yaldin, and the warden was like, hey, there's some group of my followers south of Trenton? Yep. South of Trenton. You should go visit them. (laughs) And Celine completely forgot about it. (laughs) And then was like, hey, Talia, guess what? (laughs) Two seasons later... (laughs) So, general thoughts. What were, what was your thought process with the Grove? So, my thought process with the my initial thought process with the Grove, and this changed drastically as we like even went into it and started <laughs> t- started talking about yeah. it. But my my initial thought was Talia would go to the Grove and learn the actual and scare quotes the actual history of lycanthropy. It's how it was uh, 
a curse, although to be completely honest, I had no idea what the curse even was until I said it out loud in the moment. <laughs> Jess is shaking their head like dramatically. <laughs> Prepare! <laughs> and you had a whole cast of characters ready and waiting to tell Talia. Yep, I did. I, I prepared a lot of the NPCs. Uh, I, Wrong prepare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> prepare the... I didn't pack any underwear to go to France, but I packed 12 CDs. <laughs> immediately, pretty much immediately, I received pushback from you, Chris. Uh, I wonder why. In, in character or without, or in out of character? In, in character, specifically. Dolly's like, no, no, <laughs> no, no. Absolutely voice. fucking not. Yeah. yeah. And at first I was kind of just like, okay, well, Talia's is going to have to come to accept this as a reality. But then we moved on to, it's like, you know what? What Talia is saying is better, objectively. What Chris is saying is better, objectively. Maybe an entire uh, species of people shouldn't be considered a curse. Yeah. Which is another, yeah. I think, kind of holdover from just D&D, like, the, the flaws of the system. Yeah, and, I mean, you have the Wild West environment as well, mm -hmm. and, like, that flavor, and there's, you know, there's a little bit of, especially in more modern retellings of Wild West stuff, there's a bit of occultism in it, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking of Penny Dreadful, and I love that very much, but there's the element of, like, the weirdness of the desert, mm -hmm. and, like, the creepy shit that goes on out there, and... So that kind of taints things, truly. Like, the, the, just that whole tone and, and setting. Mm -hmm. And the thing with the other thing with D&D and the way that we're telling the story is you kind of do have to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. And then adjust as you go. And so I think that it, given the setting, given the, given the game, it wasn't a terrible start to be like, these people think this is a curse. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of where it needed to end. Yeah. Where it's these people think it is a curse. And that is what we ended up at, mm -hmm. essentially. It's, it's interesting because I had discussed with you on multiple occasions about how, like, Talia's whole, like her whole pack setup was mm -hmm. and kind of gone into a little bit more detail with you of just like, this is how her packs work. This is, this is how the structure works, blah, blah, blah. And it was under the assumption that you were kind of going with me on it. So <laughs> what, excuse me, <laughs> what I was trying to do, what, what I was trying to do in that instance, and I admit it failed. <laughs> um, was that, okay. So this is, Talia's pack, or even like cow packs in this current world, if they were still alive, would work. Mm -hmm. But lycanthropy is thousands of years old. And so what they know now might not be what actually happened, mm -hmm. was, my, was my initial thought. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to, I was like, okay, so these druids that their whole thing is like preserving knowledge in literal stone would have the actual history. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's the, the, like, I can follow your logic. Uh -huh. yeah. The thing that is lacking from that is ambiguity. 
and nuance and the idea that this is objective truth. Right. Which is honestly like the way that it ended up coming off was very like history is told through the eyes of the victors kind of a thing or the eyes of the people who weren't involved or basically whoever survived mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. people's memories are skewed and people's perceptions of things are skewed. So you're going to get, I mean, aren't there like four different Greek dudes who wrote about the like the war and stuff like that from this, from different perspectives and got, we got different accounts of shit happening, different days things happened on even in mm-hmm. some cases, like that happens, and I think this was a this came off as a really good example of that. So you guys really finagled it super well <laughs> in editing. Yeah, the way that the uh, like when we were going through this process, I w- I'm not gonna lie, I don't know how much of this the Grove I was really really worried about during editing. Talia was going to come strong. I was worried that Talia was going to come off like really angry because I was frustrated as a player. Mm-hmm. But what ended up coming out of it is. Once I also had the the privilege of knowing what happens later and stuff like that, I was able to finesse it in a way that kind of set up the story for later. So how Talia comes across is frustrated, but patient and like is willing to learn what these people can teach her, but she doesn't trust any of them. Mm hmm. She doesn't even like any of them. Yeah. That's something that was like that one. I had to edit carefully to make it seem like exactly how she was feeling about these things. She was very respectful to Franya. She was very grateful to Franya. She does not like Franya. Let's talk about Franya, actually, because that that's an interesting. This is where I've talked a little bit about this on Discord and stuff, but I feel like season three is where our story started having growing pains. I don't think that's a bad thing. But I think it's a good thing to have some friction. We got really spoiled with season season one. We were tra- season one. We were trying to figure out what we were doing. It was a little rough as we were figuring it out. And then season two was amazing. Season two was uh, like, and we got obliterated. My brain. I was like, <laughs> this is. I there were. I was listening to it in the car during commutes, and I was like. Shit, yeah! Like, I was so fucking pumped! Every episode, I was like, what's gonna happen next? What's gonna happen next? (laughs) And we got fucking spoiled with it because everything just fell into place like that. Yeah. And so then we're remembering the experience at the table. Like, season three is gonna be even better because we had this great recollection of how season three was. And then we get into editing, and this is about the time where we're like, wait a minute. It was a little bit before that, where we were like, God, this is feeling really slow. Well, it's going to pick up once we get to the Grove. It'll be fine. And then the Grove was And then we go to the Grove, and it's just like, Jesus fucking Christ. And that, that, I think, I think, yeah, like, the Grove is where it really became, really became apparent. And I think Franya is a good example of this. Because you had an idea of how Franya was going to be. Yeah. You had an idea of how Talia was going to respond, and none of that happened. Nope. So... I found out about this later. Yep. There was a section where Talia, like where Franya was purposely being obtuse and very like disrespectful. Disrespectful on purpose. And I was like, why am I listening to this person? This person is just being rude. She's not like she's not even telling Talia the basics of what she, why she's doing what she's doing. And but Talia was trying to be respectful 
and was just like, I need you, and tried to explain to her, I need you to tell me why I'm doing something. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I can't get a good grasp on why I'm doing it in the first place. And like, that's when Franya finally like sighed really heavily and like, it's like, fine, I'll tell you in the morning. Um, I found out later, you were expecting Talia to like fly off the fucking handle and like have Franya like turn into a dragon to put her in her place. Yep. And I was just like, first of all, why would you think that Talia would do that? And two, why do you, you have already told her that her entire being is a curse and now you want to humiliate her? Tell, please explain to me why I need to know. And the worst of it is I don't remember. I can tell, I can tell you why. <laughs> Maxie, I can tell you why. I re- well, I have my theory as to why. Um, and this goes back to D&D and the vehicle of the storytelling and how D&D relies really heavily on established tropes. And so D&D relies really heavily on tropes. And I feel like you were kind of falling back on these kind of comfortable, familiar storytelling beats. And you were kind of hoping to have this Luke Skywalker and Yoda moment where Tali would realize, oh, Tali would have this, throw this tantrum the way Luke Skywalker did, and then Franya could be the one that actually comes out being the, being the one that that knows a thing. Uh-huh. I'm fucking 30 years old at this point. Yeah, I am, I know am really fucking not in the mood for these games. Yeah, no, I wanted Franya to have the lifting the X-Wing out of the swamp moment. Yeah, and and that that is, I think, also how you were learning as a DM to not rely on those comfortable tropes yeah. that we have kind of in society just knowing how narratives have knowing familiar narratives and learn what the characters are feeling and what they would be doing mm-hmm. which is why in our current project our secret project i was like you need to know you need to get to know the characters really well mm-hmm. so that you don't fall into comfortable tropes right and so that was what i that's kind of what i think was happening with that sounds about right. That that would be my guess. Yeah, Talia was not a huge fan of the Grove. Talia was uncomfortable from the get go, and she didn't. And she never stopped being uncomfortable. And we were learning to communicate as players too, because yeah. we were st- we were still in this headspace of like the DM kind of says what goes. Yeah, and we just we have to deal with whatever the DM wants to do and just go along with it instead of being like mm, this doesn't work. I don't like it. Let's do something different. Yeah. And this is where we were kind of learning to do that, but I think this is a good example of why that was so important. And while Talia is learning to become a druid, Celine is going to therapy. Yes, Celine is <laughs> sitting on a stone sofa. Yeah. <laughs> listening to... And gardening. And gardening. I feel like she got a lot of her therapy while they were gardening mm-hmm. because she hangs out with Elder Silvaca. Yes. And I think at this part, this point, she was, again, wrestling with being a fae, but she was, after her breakdown that she had with Talia, she was kind of accepting, like, I don't know how I feel about being a fae, but I at least can learn about it since we're here. And on the subject of Celine's breakdown about her fae side, one of the themes of our story is identity. Mm-hmm. We are a queer podcast, obviously. And we didn't want to make like a one-to-one allegory of like Celine struggling with being a fae is a representation of one's struggle to accept themselves or blah, blah, blah. But we did want to 
include themes of reconciling internal versus external pressure to be true to one's authentic self. And so I think that's where, this is a good example of where that comes in, Mm -hmm. where Celine is trying to figure out who she is because the person that she has been in her, in scare quotes, adult life is changing. And as she learns, as she learns more about herself. And so I like that part. Yeah. Oh yeah. Celine was, was having a great time in the Grove. Yeah. You know, she even said at the end, she's just like, I'll be sad to leave. Yeah. Talia's like, get me the fuck out of here. Yeah. Well, it was a comfortable place for her. Yeah. She felt safe there. Which just shows how much the Grove backfired uh, because it was supposed to be a thing for Talia because I was feeling kind of bad because Celine had a lot going on at the moment with learning more about being a fae, learning more about being related to the Undertaker, and this was supposed to be a thing for Talia, learning to become a druid, learning about the history of being, uh, of lycanthropy, and it, it it, it didn't go that way. It didn't go that way. She did learn to become a druid. And she she's, did. She's very grateful that they all took the time to do that. Although she wished they wouldn't have treated her like some sort of weird charity case. <laughs> yeah. Which is how it came off. Yeah. And it it kind of, like, it progressively got worse. And then the party happened. Which, a, a, an editing note, um... I was I was so into Talia's head. I was legit like having a fucking like panic attack at the table. Like I was so uncomfortable and upset and I didn't know how to like get out of Talia's head to like say, "Hey, we need to stop because this is fucking me up." And we so were also just, still learning how to communicate that. Yeah, too. and I was so I had to kind of like roll with it. Mm-hmm. I think it came out okay in the editing where like like you could tell Tally was upset. Yeah. She was uncomfortable. And that skin crawly feeling of I don't want to be here, but I'm being forced to by everybody and no one is hearing me say, please stop. Mm-hmm. That I can't think came through really, really good. The party episodes, I hate listening to them because I can hear how upset you are, Chris. I can hear how anxious I am because I can feel you're upset and I'm trying to stay in character and also like alleviate your anxiety and I'm sponging all of it up. So I, I just, I remember like listening to those episodes. I'm like, I hate everything Selena's doing here because I was just so fucking anxious and didn't have the, the words to say, I'm anxious. We need to stop. This needs to change. I mean, Mm -hmm. me too. I I also didn't like have the, the way to verbalize. I'm, you know, my character is freaking out right now. And in turn, it's it's putting me in a weird headspace. So in editing, though, I think that episode came off exactly how it was supposed to. Yeah. Like, I think this was hardcore. another this was another instance of you. Like you had an idea mm-hmm. of how you wanted this to go. Yeah. And you just kind of did it, did it because like Franya asking for a story from Talia's pack was so completely inappropriate after and she had very toned up. After she had treated her like a curse. I will say though. You rolled with it though. I so. rolled with it. And um I mean I knew for a fact as soon as I heard that, it was like there's no way Tally was gonna give these people any part of her culture. Mm-hmm. They didn't deserve it. Oh absolutely yeah. Um but I think overall it it struck like it was unintentional on everybody's part, but I think it really 
solidified these druids in a really interesting spot in the story of these people that are very holier than thou and very like we have the knowledge we are right you know and you know we're we're protecting our own people and blah 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 and it sets up a good parallel to how talia grew up because she even said everything about this place feels like home but not everything is just off it's like, the uncanny valley. It's the uncanny valley. There's a bunch of people literally are, yeah, that are taking care of each other in their own little group. They're not bothering anybody. They're, you know, everything is is pretty like isolated in this one area. I'll tell you, you can see are the parallels to her community. And her community burned to the ground. So it's like, you know, y'all are gonna die. Yeah, it's kind of this interesting parallel. But then you have this like very privileged view of like, oh no, we're the right ones. Yeah. So it's 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 an interesting group of people in the story because in my opinion, it's better than making them the like the good hearted, you know, people that are like, it's okay, we're here to save the poor. <laughs> You know, the poor cursed. mongrel character. Because uh-huh. that's kind of how, you know, she was feeling at that moment. It's yeah. like, I'm the problem. Like, I'm the curse and I'm the charity case, you know. So, but it sets up like the druids were not good. They no. were doing okay. Like, they weren't necessarily all bad. Like, Selene had a great experience. But their position in the world is not as good as they think it is. Yeah. It's, like, a, very pri- it's a very privileged position. Yeah. Like they, they literally have spells protecting them to turn people away. Yeah. So. Yeah, is it privileged though? Like, they're hiding for a reason. They're hiding because they don't like the outside world. They don't like the industrialization that's happening. They're right though. You're you're heading for a global warming situation in the districts with the well. industrialization. Well, coming out of the grove, you know, getting on the road to go get brown. Yeah, finally we're on the road to to District 3. Yeah, and fuck you. (laughs) You're not going to do that. (laughs) My least, second least favorite person is here. (laughs) That deal gets called in. That deal gets called in. Although I think the line that you were like, this is only the second most inconvenient (laughs) time. God, I don't know if we kept that in. In season two, we were super fucking worried that right before the trial, he yeah. was going to say, hey, uh-huh. called it. Yeah, it would have been bad momentum. Yeah. <laughs> it would have, which, you know, thank goodness for the the sake of the story that didn't happen. Yeah. And also, it is uh, it is a funny line that Celine was like, ha, you didn't get me at the most inconvenient time. <laughs> Only the second most inconvenient time. <laughs> Bitch, <laughs> we're busy. <laughs> And this was another time where my experience at the table and my experience editing were really different. And how I had a much rosier picture of it in my head. And I'm responsible for ruining that. (laughs) Which I honestly do appreciate, though, because that's going to make our story better, is by outside perspective being like hmm maybe this needed some work something seems off about this whole thing you want to talk about that a little bit do I want to talk about 
<laughs> well, what happened? Yeah, well, let's it, let's talk well, about the story first. Well, so we have uh, we have the broker calling in the deal, the three heads, mm-hmm. and Beach. pulling. I hate that guy. Pulling you both into the Feywild and giving you tasks to complete. Mm-hmm. And for a while, at least, ensuring that Talia could not leave the Feywild until the deal was done. Can you tell us what you were thinking with that? Yeah, I hate that. I hated it. That was the, one of the most frustrating things. Is I was like, I will kill him. I will go. I will. I will rip a hole into podcast space time, and I will kill him. <laughs> it was specifically. It was specifically because the broker was being a dick. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fair. He is that. Yeah. <laughs> I also have an inkling it was because you had a very specific idea of how you wanted the story to go, and you didn't want us messing it up by leaving. Probably. Probably. That probably had something to do with it, too. <laughs> probably. Pro- probably. A little bit. But also because he's a dick. He is a dick. There was no reason for it, quite honestly. Like, we already know the broker's a dick. It's just putting Talia and Celine through more trauma. And making them more miserable. And at this point in the story, they spent the Feywild so miserable. They didn't need any more help. God, yeah. I was, I was, when we were editing that, it's like, God, we are just constantly sad. <laughs> you got, like, and I, this was when I started editing episodes. <laughs> so I was getting all of the unedited shit, and I'm like, oh, Jesus. By the, by the end of this section, you were so exhausted. I was like, why didn't they fucking stop playing and do this later? I know you wanted to get it over with, but I was like, Jesus, you all should have stopped playing. This is why I don't recommend doing long D&D sessions. You'll get tired and you'll do stupid shit. This is before we started implementing uh, naps in between long sessions. Because Molly at that time was still was living with us. So, you know, we would take like an hour and a half break and everybody go take a nap. What was what was the thought process behind like how how you wanted uh, the Feywilds to go? And did we actually do it or were we, you know, you guys. OK, so again, this kind of looking back on it, this kind of falls apart a lot like the Grove did, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And how that this was supposed this was supposed to be fun. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, this was yeah. It's like, oh Baba Yaga's hut. And it's bigger on the inside with all these weird fucking rooms. I mean, rooms. that part was kind of cool. Yeah. That part was at least that, was, that wasn't interesting. The, that wasn't the 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 tricky part or the that wasn't the troubling part. It was that listening back, I felt like the whole thing was on rails. Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't really a lot of us, like, interacting with things. It was mostly just wandering from place to place. Yeah, and that's... A, that's mm, I think that's actually a problem I have with, like, large dungeon crawl-like things. Is mm-hmm. it, it is just kind of like, here's this thing. Now here's this thing. Here's this thing and then this thing. And that's something that I think I've improved on. 
I think we'll see once we get to some later season stuff. I mean, I think so, but I'm also like, yeah, but I don't trust my own memory now because of how season three went. Yeah. So I think it depends. We'll see. Uh, yeah, I think season four stuff. Uh, yeah. We do a couple. We do a dungeon crawl there. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think I think that, like... I that remember one, that one being way more interesting. It was way more interesting. And that one was supposed to be very stressful. And I think it was stressful in a good way. That, I think so. That, yeah. We'll, 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 we'll find out. We'll, we'll find, find out. out. Yeah. I think one thing that was kicking up the stress was the lack of player agency. Where yeah. it was like, you can't get back into your house. You're trapped here. You mm-hmm. can't do anything. You have to go along with everything that's going on. You have no power as players or as characters. Yeah. And so I think that was a major source of stress, at least for me. Especially where, when it came to the dragon. Yeah, oh, I gosh. I don't know why you thought. <laughs> I don't know why you thought. I don't know why you did that, Molly. <laughs> I know exactly why I did it. Why? It was Chris's birthday. And why? I why did Chris a... ever say I want to fight a dragon on my birthday? I actively avoid fighting dragons. Every you actively time avoid fighting. Period. Uh, yeah. Non-confrontational. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was very funny because when it was happening, I was just like, okay, because at that point I, I was I, I had gotten the sense that we're on rails, mm-hmm. but I trusted Molly that you know I don't know why <laughs> you fool yeah, right. see and I remember talking to you about this and you you said to me Chris well I like to trust the vision of the DM yeah I don't <laughs> no also, no offense like no no, no offense to D, but like. Previous the my previous main DM in college was wonderful because he would he would do the well what do you want to do thing he loved whenever we'd adopt NPCs he would he would listen to our crazy schemes and be like mm-hmm, let's see how that fucking plays out for you and Molly does that a lot too but sometimes I get something in my head and I don't know when to let it go. A concept. A concept. Now, we, have identified, we have identified that Molly likes concepts with a capital C, and there have been times where she has an idea, and I'm going to have to be like, Molly, this is a concept. You need to let it go. Yeah. Okay, but I blame season two on this, because season two, everything fucking fell into place, and we almost didn't have to touch anything on that. Yeah. Like, I think the only thing we redid was the trial. Yeah. That, and that was, that had other, we had other reasons that, But that was that. also, like, in the moment. Like, we didn't have to go back in the editing process and redo the trial. That was, like, we had started the trial and then realized we had to make some changes. So that was, like, immediately. And yeah. so while we were editing season two, everything did fall into place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was under the, like, I was like, no, Molly knows what she's doing. There's a reason why we're on Look how great season two was. Yeah. Yeah. So I went along with it. And then she's just like, happy birthday. Here's a dragon to kill. New druid killing an, an, an animal that is literally extinct in where you're from. Yay. And I'm just like. There's got to be a reason for this, so okay. Oh, let's fucking kill it, I guess. And this would have been. Uh, this is now that we have one finished recording, Faye Wild, and also and two brought Jess on as a third editor, and three will have more time. This is one of those things that if we had implemented all of those things, we would have gone back and changed it. Yeah, we would yeah. have done something different. Yeah, tell you what, like if I had gotten any inkling that I that. I wasn't supposed because I remember like looking at you going because it didn't seem like there was any like give with this dragon. No. And and I was just like, are we 
supposed to kill this thing? I actually like physically asked you and you were like, happy birthday. I'm like, so that clearly told me we are not getting out of this fight. This is a fight. You have to kill it. And it's just like, okay. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. You, I, I this would have been a good, a good place for the communication to be like, I don't want to kill it. Let's think of something different. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it. I don't mean to harp on this moment any more than we already are, but I also feel like it took away from the final boss. Oh, definitely, it and, absolutely did. So this is one of those like, and we've already made the decision that once something is out, we're not going to go back and change it. We're not going to be George Lucas always tweaking stuff. But this our is our mistakes will forever be. They just, they just, there. it's just there. It's fine. All, all stories have weaker parts. At least that's what I've been telling myself. But, but yeah, moving on from Baba Yaga, let's talk about the River King. Okay, the, the River King was fun. Because the River I King. love the River King. And here we also start seeing parts of the broker's plan actually falling into place. Mm -hmm. Where things that... <laughs> Jess has thoughts. No, I just immediately thought of, what is the hag of the Evermarsh's name? And Tali's like, Baba Yaga. And he's just like... <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to get that bitch's name for fucking millennia, and you just have it? Fuck! I guess you win that one, but you won't win the next one, will you? No. Well, son of a bitch. <laughs> oh my god, so... Control water? Why did I think of that? Why did you think of that, Molly? Like, like, I gotta know what you had planned for that, because I wrecked that plan. Also, I you know did. that fucking bastard has control water. Yeah, but he couldn't do it. He had, he by his own... Like, by his own rules, he couldn't interfere. I know. So yeah. he's like, I should have shot him so I think I I enjoyed the River King part. It was extremely fun. Extremely fun. So fun. I think I would have preferred him to be less kingly. <laughs> like he was too rod up his ass kind of guy like oh he loosens up yeah but I feel like he should have been loose then like it would have been so much more oh let fun. me tell you how loose the river king is <laughs> he is a slut well cause we had that story of him just like making a friend with a human and being like here's a gift here's gifts and the human's like I don't want these <laughs> stop giving me these things he's like why don't you want me things <laughs> like he's I, I wanted more of that like kind of clueless Himbo likeness <laughs> that was sort of hinted at in that story of like him giving kind of like his what I kind of read as his semi lover too much stuff and the guy just being like I'm gonna I'm eighty I can't I can't drive a car <laughs> like you know like that kind of I, I got you a car that has a jet engine on it aren't you excited Yes it's like a rocket see all the panels <laughs> I can't see I've gone blind. <laughs> He was very like, <laughs> like and, and very like he had that sort of like stiff upper lipness to him whenever he would lose where he would just be like, hmm, well, I've lost this one. I'll just win the next one. But like there was none of that. for He needed personality because <laughs> you gave it to him in the backstory. Yeah. Thankfully, he does come out more in, into that personality later. Spoilers, he comes. He, he's we haven't seen the last of the River King. Oh, no. far from it. 
So the River King was actually a lot of fun. The River King was a lot of fun, but as far as what I had planned initially... For, for the race? For the race, it was going to be a contest of skill checks. <laughs> it was going to be a back and forth, like... You, James and Talia making athletics checks with Harmon providing inspiration and also like helping push your boat along to give you some extra speed. I do remember when we were recording that I was trying to be very crafty uh-huh. because I knew I had control water, but I also knew that one that the I think there's a role involved with control water. Uh no, no. Concentration. No. It was just concentration. Right. So I knew that that my concentration check might fail for one reason or another. I also knew that you might pull some fairy shit and it doesn't work. But I also knew I can't rely on this and I don't want to... And Molly hasn't... I don't think Molly has caught on to me. So I'm going to prepare as if I don't have this cheater spell. <laughs> and so I prepared um, like enhanceability and I had enhanceability on everybody. And stuff like that. And then I was like, yes, I can. I cast control water. And I make a big wave, and it sends them off the, in the opposite direction. Now, what's really funny is I was actually, when she was, t- she told me about this, and I'm like, I don't know if that's going to work, only because control water is, like, one of the most basic cleric skills you have. Like, one of the, like, clerics are supposed to, like, control water because it's, like, a Jesus, it's, it, like, Jesus walked on water and shit. But that's the whole purpose of control water and why clerics have it and not everybody else gets that. Which is why you can capsize a boat very Christ-like. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Right? <laughs> it's famously a thing Jesus did. Yeah. I know. Isn't that stupid? Anyway. So, like, I knew that that's, like, one of the most common clerical spells. And I was under the impression, it's like, Molly has already, like, that's what I was out. thinking too. Is that there's Molly has probably accounted for this, which is one reason that I was still not I wasn't, wasn't counting on it. Yeah, but then she gave me an inkling that she hadn't thought of that, so I think I left it in the recording or in the show, and I'm like, you know what spell she has, right? And you were like, no, I don't. And I'm like, uh oh. And then you read what control water it does. I love that you left that in because normally, like, if we're confused about. What a spell does, we're not going to leave in us reading the description of it out loud. Yeah. Like, but that was so, you just like matter of factly read it out, and Molly was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just like, okay, I'm going to have Captain Sparkle Jacket, uh, like, roll a, um, boat handle jacket. <laughs> roll a was boat that jacket. actually his name? It was a diamond jacket, but we kept calling him Sparkle Jacket. Okay. I was like, is he a pony? (laughs) (laughs) He might be. I don't think we got a description of him. Is there friendship involved in this magic? (laughs) Like, Sparkle Jacket? But no, okay, I feel much better now. No, No, it was Diamond Jacket. It was Diamond Jacket, because he has a jacket literally made out of diamonds. Wow. So after the race, we have the duel. The duel. You want to talk about party? You want to talk about what inspired the duel? Utana. Yeah. Uh, almost exclusively. Really? Yeah. I had no, no idea. idea. Because I made Molly watch Revolutionary oh. Girl Utana the entirety of the series. My favorite anime. Like a few months late, like a few months before, and I remember we were sitting at work, and I was like, "We're gonna have dueling in Feywild, right?" And she's like, "Well, I don't know, maybe." And I'm like, "You don't? No, no, no. That wasn't a question. <laughs> we're gonna have dueling in Feywild, right?" And you were like, oh, okay. And then this is yeah. where it came up. 
I mean, that was the most interesting part. Um, I do love that Celine drew the two of swords before we knew it was a duel. Yeah, that was funny. Like, my tarot deck is very sassy sometimes. It's like, I see what you did there, cards. <laughs> but yeah, the party beforehand. The party. Parties. We don't like them, do we? We do like parties. Celine likes parties. <laughs> Tally, on the other hand, is not that excited about parties. Especially with certain individuals attending them. Oh, God, yeah. Why was he invited? No one likes him. <laughs> Only invite people you like. No, that's why he was invited, because nobody likes him. <laughs> because he had to be. <laughs> for the story. Yeah, Tally had a plan. That was one of the, the, the times, like, I had a really cool plan. I was going to go pump him for information, and then I failed to check and became a problem. That is, <laughs> that is another instance of where that should have been a time when I, Megzi the player, should have said something to you, Chris. Mm -hmm. Like, Selena's going to react really badly to that. Like, mm -hmm. and I'm kind of reacting badly to that. So let's talk about what we want to happen during this part. Mm -hmm. Right. And it just kind of got away from y'all. I, one, I think it was, again, exhaustion. It was exhaustion and also just trying to not be disruptive and also probably just the fear of not being listened to. It's that rejection sensitivity dysphoria mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, trauma. Then Talia was kind of just doing what Talia would do, which was try and, you know, get James out of a dangerous situation because James is not as familiar with Faye as Talia was. And Talia is not that familiar with Faye either. So it was just like, you know, she is a slightly, in her mind, she was a slightly better choice to be in a dangerous situation and not James. Mm -hmm. um, and then it backfired on her. I do like that Talia and Celine continually put themselves individually in dangerous situations and then are upset with the other. I don't like that. Stop being upset with each other. When I said I like that, I mean like that's interesting. It's it's a it's understandable, I guess, but it's it's to me it's amusing that they both think they're right about this and they're not. No. So, no, they both the, need to not catch it off. Look Jess is giving me is like I just always get frustrated when one of them does something that they think is the right thing to do and this often ends up being Talia trying to do something that she thinks is the right thing to do and it upsets Celine and so Celine says, "What the fuck were you thinking? That was so stupid." and berates Talia over it instead of like just being like, "Are you okay?" Yeah. Like the first I, I, maybe this is just because I love my life now and I, I have compassion for people and things and, and I'm very happy. But the first thing that I would care about is, are you okay? Oh my God. Like, he got ya. Because it's pretty easy for him to fucking get people. Yeah. And also, like, was she supposed to let James dance? As far as Celine is concerned, sure. Like, cause, because Celine has a very stratified hierarchy of who's important. Yeah. And it feels Talia never pushes back enough, only to the point of having a very strong argument, like after build after months of building and not expressing shit, because Talia is a bottler. <laughs> so it, she just sort of like takes it and is like, "Yeah, no, I was dumb. I'm really stupid." Like very almost mopey like, and then like doesn't defend herself in those moments mm -hmm. and it's very frustrating because if someone talked to me like that all the time i would tell them to fuck off <laughs> and not speak to me anymore <laughs> but like it's just it's it's very interesting and always like raises my hackles 
when it happens. That's interesting. I did not know that happened. Hmm? Didn't realize the pattern. I didn't realize it was a pattern. How could you? You're in the mall. You lived it. Yeah. You like it's it's hard to see the pattern when you are the one experiencing the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at it from the outside, you can go the the same color is appearing multiple times <laughs> in the same places every sequence. Hmm. That's a pattern. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's well. not, you know. <laughs> Which is another reason why I'm really glad that you're here to help us identify those patterns. Yeah, and definitely. Be like, this is a thing that I've noticed. And we'll go, holy shit, that's a thing. So let's fix that. Well, let's, let's Or come, come to some corner kind of resolution. Decide what we want to happen with this pattern instead <clears throat> yeah. of just letting it continue on. Mm-hmm. Um, let there be no consequences to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I wanted to touch on with uh, the River King and the ball before the duel was the divine intervention mechanic. Because I hate the way the book has divine intervention. You basically get 1% increase chance of it working every level until you get to level 20 and then it just works automatically. I think it should be you get 10% and then it works automatically at level 20. Because that makes more sense to me. But I like the way that you did it because when Celine was dancing with the River King, saw that the broker had Talia and was like, I need to do something about this. She was like, literally had nothing else left. She couldn't stop dancing with the River King or she'd be in trouble and probably get them all killed. What has she got left? Divine intervention. Mm -hmm. And so I, but I like the way you did it where she failed her role. She had to get an 11 or lower on a D100 and she didn't get that. Yep. And, but you did something later. I did. Where the role itself, where she was appealing to the Undertaker to intervene in this directly somehow, didn't work or didn't end up, that didn't end up happening. But what did happen? So what I like to do with divine intervention specifically, because I agree the mechanic itself is kind of bullshit. Um, what I, but, so what I like to do with divine intervention is if the role fails and nothing happens, nothing happening is boring. And so you also want this is a super high level power move that you only get to do once a week. Yeah, something should happen something once a week. Yeah, it yeah. should be far less often than that. Like, if you want your ten percent increase, you're going at least once every three months. That's fine. Yeah, because I spoilers. I don't use it that often. Really, I use it as a last resort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so, like I said, nothing happening is boring. And I so didn't get my 10% increase. What I like to do is if the role succeeds, the player essentially gets to dictate what happens or more directly gets to dictate what happens in the divine intervention. But if the role fails, something should still happen. I just think it's much more up to the DM at that point. What if anything happens? And in this particular instance, when the fight was looking kind of dire, (laughs) 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 Celine's a bird now. Celine gets the wings of the Undertaker. Look at all those chickens. (laughs) I want to know, did you just come up with that on the fly? Yeah. Like, Celine's going to have wings now? Yep. Neat. That is a neat. That was really cool. I really like that that little adjustment to the mechanic. Yeah, because it is boring if like nothing happens. So and we and we you know spoilers we don't use that very often. So when it does 
happen when she does call on that you know it's poignant mm-hmm. and to have it nothing happen it's just kind of like all right okay well. so i use my super high power thing i can only use once a week for no reason yeah yeah which is like and and that's i think is also dependent on the fact that you know i'm not going to abuse that that ability mm-hmm. yeah i celine only uses it as a last resort if nothing else if she can do nothing else yeah some people some players aren't as conservative with divine intervention and he's like has it been seven days dad help me out yeah so after the river king then we get to the main bit the The wedding the big what's the word i'm looking for the big hill the big end the big butt (laughs) what's the word i'm looking for the big the climax the climax that's the one the finale there's the word (laughs) The wedding, the... Me! (laughs) (laughs) The you! (laughs) A lot... A lot built up to that, and in some respects, I think... I think it was a letdown in some respects. Talk about that a little. Specifically, as we had discussed previously, the, um... The dragon fight. The void dragon. Yeah. And how that was kind of cheapened by... Bob. Yeah. <laughs> In Baba Yaga's house. Yeah. Bob! Baba Yaga! <laughs> yes. Just sorry, I just said that. <laughs> I feel like you can make like a Dr. Seuss tongue twister with it. Um, also, it was short. Like, yeah. edited, oh, God. it was I short. Re- I don't remember that episode being very short. I remember <sighs> us taking a really long time. And then you're like, yeah, it only got down. I got it down to like a, what was it? Like a 25 minutes. 20 minutes. Yeah. 20 minutes. And I'm like, are you shitting me? What did you tell? Like, did I accidentally leave something in? She's like, no, we were talking about like a mechanic that we didn't need to keep. And I'm like, oh crap. Cause I hadn't gone in to rough edit three it uh-huh. and shorten it down even more. And boy, howdy, I did. It was like 15 minutes. I'm yeah. like, yeah, I this was another instance of something we probably would have gone back and added to. Yeah. If we had and and an instance like this will be added to in the future like if we run into something like this where we're like, "Hmm, how can we make this better?" Cuz we're looking at right now we're looking at the recorded footage we have as a first draft and that it needs work, which is cool. That's fine. But and um, I I'm actually excited about that. Yeah, I am, like, I'm I'm very I'm like, very you know. excited about it. And so yeah, the Void Dragon, I think, could have been bigger, but... I th- and This was actually a rare instance where I was actually afraid of it killing you. <laughs> they all had Death War. They were fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, in in the book um, that I was using, Void Dragons are fucking terrifying and you were with just the like amount of damage they can do. Walking down the stairs. I cast Death War number one. Just, like, boredly said, and I cast Death Ward. Yeah, because it's like we're probably going to go into a battle. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was just so, like, you were trudging. Yeah. Yeah, that session session was a long one. Yeah. And it, oh, man. I think it comes okay. I think it comes through okay in the show because the characters are also exhausted. And there's music. Yes. Without music, man, shit is kind of boring to listen to. You're kind of like, oh man, they're happy. they're sleepy. <laughs> but then with the music, you're like, ah, oh, I feel alive. Like, yeah. Ah, yeah. 
energy. So yeah, it's it's helpful to have music and sound effects. Yeah. Because just like, and of course I'm, you know, we're all cutting out. We're all listening to the shit we're cutting out too. Mm-hmm. So we're listening to the like side conversations or like the the meandering ideas and just going get rid of that shit and yeah. like you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but this session was really long and. But I think again, I think it works in the story. Well, as far as as far as the void dragon goes, yeah, I remember that fight being really long. Turned out it wasn't that long at all when you take out all the shit that we didn't need. Yeah, and um, I will say though, I don't ever remember feeling threatened. Yeah, which I think is something that comes across. Is none of them are like all that concerned about dying. And I think that has to do again with the fact that we were on kind of on rails. And so it's like, okay, I know that we this we're just kinda of going through the motions of like this is the big boss, we're gonna fight the big boss, yeah. we're gonna kill the big boss, and then things are gonna resolve and yeah. then the season's gonna be over. Which yeah. is you know, not blah, which blah, is blah. not the case when it was the trial. Yeah. Yeah. Even though we did have to go back and script the trial, I will say and that the, the, the outline outline the trial it. wasn't scripted, it was outlined. There's a difference. Yeah. <laughs> When we did have to go back and outline the, the trial, the when we were first playing the trial, we were concerned. Mm-hmm. Oh know? God, right? I was, yeah. I was like, I was, I, I was just like, what are you gonna do to me? Yeah. Like, I was just looking at you, Molly. Like, I'm waiting for it. I'm prepared this time. Of when shit goes tits up, I'm ready for it. Yeah. And this one was and just kind of like trying to be. I was trying to be like, no, this is a good thing. No, you liar! I know it's not. <laughs> You're saying that, but you got something horrible waiting for me, and I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. I'm ready, f- ready for it. Violence. Violence. <laughs> My favorite fucking line. Hey, but it, this at this time around, and I will say that in the next season, I am fucking terrified for our lives. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. There's there's this, some good shit coming in season four. Yeah, but in this season, I never ever felt like yeah. nothing. I was... felt frustrated and out of my depth at being in the Feywild. But I knew once I I think subconsciously realized like okay Molly has a plan and this is she wants things to go a very certain way. I was kind of just kind of following the story, which isn't a good, which isn't no. good. And so I'm glad that we have realized, ah, this is a thing that might happen. Let's try to avoid it in mm-hmm. the future. Yeah. I wish that we had, at the time, got, gotten to the point where we were communicating on that level and mm-hmm. could have been like, this isn't working. I mean, again, it's a learning experience. We, we've talked about how this entire process is a learning experience. Um, everything that we've done in Feywild, so, you know, again, we've wrapped up the se- we've wrapped up the entire series. Eight seasons. Eight-ish seasons. We'll find out. You know, so... Seasons, like, five through seven are muddled. We'll figure that out. Yeah, we'll figure that out. But it's, you know, all of that goes into the next project. So the next projects, you know, will be able to, like, apply all that. Mm -hmm. And in future seasons of Feywild. But, you know, you got to get through those growing pains. Mm -hmm. And um, I think season three, I will look back as a really good learning experience for everybody of like do not rely solely on your what you think is good mm-hmm. you know and it speak up yeah speak up when you when you think that there's a problem yeah so it's a good it's a good exercise and also managing rejection sensitivity because like you have to speak up and realize that you that people at the table might not agree with you and that you just got to deal with that because oh. if you don't say something and it ends up being bad, then you're gonna, you're gonna be, you're gonna be sitting there, you know, two years, two and a half years later, like, damn, I wish I would have said something. 
Yeah. But I will say the thing that I kind of liked about season three's end is that the battle really wasn't the important part. Yeah, let's no. talk about what happens after the voice. Yeah. yeah, and I know that there was some interesting comments online about this, about how they weren't really all that happy. But I really liked the fact that the battle wasn't really the end of it. Like, yeah. the, what happened afterwards, which was much more quieter and a lot more meaningful as far as story, for me anyway, that's the part that I was interested in. So if you want to talk about that a little bit. The murder of the Moonlit King. It was a coup the whole time. Yep. yep. Not exactly the whole time. A coup, coup, coup. <laughs> not, no, you're right. It, not exactly the whole time. And I'm actually glad I get to talk about uh, this yeah, a little bit now. That was not always the plan with the broker. It was not. Originally, it was a real estate scheme. <laughs> <laughs> Jess is retreating into her neck. <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> I know. But only only half as much as you hate no, um, people. That's not how the scale works. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Anyway. Somebody might notice the um the the blue trees just kind of stop being a thing. Like they they, they tend to be a motif more in, in in the future as opposed to like being a a reoccurring thing that keeps popping up. Because initially, the thing with the blue trees was that they were supposed to be converting parts of the material plane into parts of the Feywild. Mm. That's going to get you in trouble. Like, hubris. <laughs> hubris. Like, no one will mind if I do this. No one will mind at all. No one will notice. So this is hubris, but overthrowing a king? That's typical. That's politics. That's politics. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's the normal way to get the (laughs) land that you want. Not popping into another plane of existence and saying, I like this place and I like this place. And the things that live there or live in other planes of existence that are also fighting over that area are probably going to go, hey, wait a minute. That's not yours. That's mine. Or that's theirs. And fights happen. That was kind of the idea of them being spread out, too, though, was just like a bit here. A bit there. No one will notice these little <laughs> things. I'm I'll just, I'll pretty just, sure no one can see. I'll just take a little off the top. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Embezzling <Yeah>. the material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like this a lot better. No, it, I, I, I do as well. it makes, it makes much more sense. And I feel like it puts the fucking Moonlit King out of his misery. Like, <laughs> I feel bad for that guy. And, I mean, this is not the way that he should have died, and this is not what you should do to old people. <laughs> But like, oh, poor dude. And I, we'll talk about the the other thing a little bit later. But like, whoa, yeah, poor guy. Like it was time. It was. It's been time for a while for him to go. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and it. I don't remember exactly when it became that. Actually, no, I do know exactly when it became that. As soon as Celine started having dreams about the Moonlit King, okay. that was when that th- the story shifted from it's a real estate scheme uh, to um, it being a coup. <laughs> yeah. But the, ev- the event, or the speech rather, leading up to it, the that eye contact looking over at Celine 
was one of my favorite moments of the entire season. Are you getting nauseous? A little. (laughs) (laughs) So this was an interesting part for me to play as Celine because when she was at the wedding, she wasn't really angry. Well, she was angry. She wasn't angry or frustrated. She was angry and frustrated. She was angry and frustrated, but that wasn't really the dominating thing she was feeling. She felt nauseous. She Mm -hmm. felt sickened. And so I want to talk a little bit about Celine's mindset in that, because I think this was another instance of you not quite knowing the character well enough. Mm -hmm. You did not realize that Celine had feelings for the broker. Did I not? No, you did not. And you know how I know? Because at work the next day, and I was like, what'd you think about the end of season three? I thought, why'd you think about the end? What'd you think? And I was like trying, because I got this feeling of like, I don't think Molly quite gets it. And I was like, what are your thoughts? And we were talking about it. And I was like, yeah, Celine felt nauseous. And you were like, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, yeah, she didn't really want to be there. I'm like, no, no, no. She, Yeah, she didn't want to be there, but not for the reason you think. And then I was like, how do I say this without just coming out and saying it? She you should have just come out and say it. Like, I should have, but I liked how I said it. I had asked you, why do you think Celine felt so nauseous? Why do you think she felt that feeling sick to her stomach? And you're like, because she had to watch someone that looks just like her get married to the broker, and it made her feel disgusted. That that thought. Yeah, you're you're right. I, wow, and I, I was like, that. and I was like, oh my, so close. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, okay, I'm gonna paint you a word picture. She felt nauseous. You could say she looked a little green, and that's when it like hit you. Yeah. I like the wedding. I just I just wish it hadn't been at the end of the railroad. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about what you thought Celine felt, especially how you thought she was going to react to this. I just, I want to know. I, I'm so curious. I hate to disappoint you, but as I kind of just demonstrated, I honestly don't remember what I thought then. A lot of it has <sighs> been erased with how much we have come, with how far we've come since then. Oh, Molly. I know. And this is also part of this is also a problem with my improv style. Things go just as quickly as they come. Yeah, write shit down. Yes. <laughs> hey. What? Hey. What? Hey, what? writing stuff down is good. <laughs> yeah. It helps you remember stuff. Yes. So in that moment, I thought this was, ah, I honest, I thought it was a lot more about Sarastra, honestly. That her her emotions about this, uh, like I'm, I'm trying to reconstruct what I thought, which is so interesting because Sarastra didn't really exist until this very moment, and Celine had like heard her name, but like there was nothing about her. No one knew anything about her. Well, yeah, uh, it was. I think it's again because I got a I got a concept stuck in my head of Celine getting pieces of this person that looked like her in these in these dreams how she would appear as this person mm-hmm. and I got that and I I guess yeah no because like you said I said that I thought she was not just because she saw someone that looked like her marrying the broker so how did you think she felt about the broker I thought that she hated him she does yeah Looking back, I do not know how I missed 
those feelings that she had for him. There are, I'll give you this. They're extremely complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, for a change with her. <laughs> you also never say it explicitly in any capacity whatsoever that someone who hasn't experienced that kind of thing or, like, doesn't read a lot of romance content won't catch. Which was, is me. <laughs> okay, that's fair. My question would be then, what would have been a better way to display that without Celine coming out and being like, I have complicated feelings for this person because she's not going to do the that. The player, you, out of character, saying, Celine has complicated feelings for this character. Moons and moons and moons before this event <laughs> Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I, I think that comes down to, again, like the communication problem mm-hmm. and how in... But it comes again comes back to like rejection sensitivity mm-hmm. stuff because like in games past I've had like really like oh I've got this cool idea and blah 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 and I have it all figured out and this is what's blah 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 and my character feels like this and I've gotten from the DM be like eh, okay and just kind of like just mm-hmm. hand wave it away and it's like so I think for me it was like I can't come out and say this because I, I need to somehow convey it without saying it. Because if I say it outright, it'll just get kind of like brushed aside. I think the way we tried to present that in context in the game is have Talia kind of like your, um, like your smell changes, like you're obviously feeling something. Like it, 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 we try to express it in conversation to let the audience know that I think it was trying to show, don't tell, but yeah. definitely not. But maybe a little. Maybe we can have a little tell. As you a treat. were fairly vague. The telling, the the showing was still fairly vague. Like you can have. That's just Talia telling the audience what she's perceiving. It's not. It's not Celine. Right. Mm-hmm. We didn't get any like no thoughts, no like Celine was, and it's because Celine was trying to ignore it and pretend it wasn't a thing mm-hmm. until it very much was a thing and it hurt really bad. Yeah. But, like it's. Very, um... She also doesn't realize it's a thing, really. It's very anime. <laughs> I'm gonna say a little bit, like, this... We're making an anime, Jess! This kind of, like, hatred-pining trope-type thing is... And it's not just anime, but, it's like, like it, it feel... It, it just makes me think of that kind of thing. Very overdramatic, like... But never explicitly stated in any capacity whatsoever. That part is very anime. You must infer everything. You must hope you have your inference correct, or else the internet will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that's another like communication thing that we could have displayed a bit better. Yeah. Well, here's hoping that the audience does listen to this. So, Megzi, would you like to explain at this point in time how Celine feels about the broker? No. I can explain it. You go it ahead. It. You go ahead because I, I like if I said try to talk to Celine and say, "Hey, how do you feel about the broker?" She's just gonna hiss at me. Celine has very complicated feelings for the broker. Part of it is due to the fact that she thinks there's some sort of recognition on her part with him because she was told and she vaguely remembers him, but she was mostly told that they used to know each other. She has no real understanding or memory of their time together. And anything she has seen could have been, like, him just, you know, fucking with her. She doesn't know. She just has vague ideas that maybe at one point in time they knew each other when she was young. So there's that mixed with the fact that this person, she actually met this person 
on a train and had a visceral reaction to him because his fae type, I guess, is also the same as her fae type. They're both autumn. They're both of the autumn. They're both of night. And both of their fae went, wee, I know you. And she had never really experienced that before. Gross. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it? A little gross. Yeah. And she's never really experienced that with anyone before. It was just like all of a sudden this instant recognition where no recognition should exist, especially because this person is about being, is like shady as shit. Mm -hmm. So between that, now this person is in their lives and he's kind of being creepy and her hackles go up in the sense that, oh, no, 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 you're not going to outsmart me. I'm going to outsmart you. So then you get into that control thing. Yeah. So then you get into a game that they both start to play, or at least what she thinks is the game. The game she thinks she's playing. And see, the thing is, is it seemed a little weird to me that you didn't realize it because of the hot tub scene in season one. Yeah. Going... Knowing that she, like, found him attractive and knowing that she had feelings are two different things. Ah, I see this. I understand the split now. But the hot tub scene, though, like, that... (laughs) That set everything up, though, because, like, at first you had had said, like, you feel feel drawn to this person when we were on the train. Mm -hmm. And so it was like... Okay, cool. Like, and then then the whole thing with Talia's deal, and Selene was like, "Oh hell no, I hate you." Yeah. Like you can. At that point, she was like, "Don't get fucked." And then he shows up in the hot tub, and she's like, "I am in the nude, (laughs) and you are also in the nude, and you." I can see a lot from here. And wait, what? I thought he just appeared in clothes. No. No. He was in the hot tub with her. Oh, I straight imagine that scene completely incorrectly. <laughs> Honestly, I like mine better. <laughs> it feels more like he has more power in that scene. He's going to sit in the hot tub fully clothed? No, not in the hot tub. Out, standing outside of it like a normal person. <laughs> no, he was in the hot tub with her. Yeah, I completely missed that detail. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know, just imagining him with his hat and his clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and the hot tub. Absolutely, would just be like, <laughs> straight laugh at him. But, like, it, to me, that feels a bit more like power, a power play for him to just show up with her in a vulnerable position and him not in a vulnerable position. See, I think it works better that with him, both, both of them, like, in what should be vulnerable positions, but he clearly has the upper hand because he's not bothered by it. Well, that was something that, like, tipped her off. It's like, oh, I'm kind of on an even playing field with this guy. Or, like, gave her the the illusion of that. Because he kind of appeared on her level for a minute. And that gave her a false sense of security. Because throughout the entirety of these three seasons, they've been exchanging tit for tat. And she's under the impression that they're playing a game. And she's, like, on the same level. Especially when she gets his name. You know, so she's in the sense of, like, I am winning. And, you know, it's like, you know, I'm better and I'm winning. And he's still attractive, but I got this. So those complicated feelings all mix together and they come together at the end where Celine is then jutted into reality where this person was using her the entire time. She was just a piece in, you know, the entirety of his puzzle. There was it was never it was never a game the two of them were playing. Yeah. It was she always, was always a piece in the game that he was playing with somebody else, somebody that looks exactly like her and is her but better yeah so all of those things combined and you get somebody who's left with all of these very complicated emotions 
and heartbreak. Mm-hmm. That's where the real heartbreak is, I think, is has less to do with Sarastra and the fact that he's marrying Sarastra. That was just kind of twisting the knife. Yeah. What really broke her heart was this idea of she thought she knew what she was doing with this person. And it turns out... She thought out she knew the rules. She thought she knew the rules. And she didn't. And she didn't even know the game. She didn't even know the game. And she realized how little she mattered the whole time. And I think that's where the heartbreak actually happens. It's it's the one thing I really wanted to avoid was she's not like, oh, fuck you, lady that looks just like me. I want this man for myself or whatever. I wanted to avoid that. It's more abstract, I guess. Mm-hmm. So that's where the real heartbreak comes in. And I will say that bravo on the character on the characterization. Thank uh, you. I looking back on it, it come I think it comes together very well going forward. It continues very well though we do run into some parts where it's kind of like okay, Celine's just kind of being sad now. Yeah, I was having I I like how it came together. I was having trouble during the end of season three, just at, like Purdue, like with the production side of it, because I'm like, I'm so sick of Celine being a big sad. Mm-hmm. Please stop being a big sad. But it's like, no, no, she's got to be a big sad for a minute. She just got her heart broken, mm-hmm. and so uh, it it's. But the, the, we do run into stuff of in the future of like, I'm really sick of Celine being sad. Can can you guys help me think of a way for me to get her out of sad that just doesn't like okay I'm done being sad mm-hmm. but that yeah. again has to do with our our improved communication as yeah. far as this story goes. Mm-hmm. But the other cool thing that happened in that moment is that we did get to introduce Sarastra who has been hinted at this entire time and one of us had the brilliant idea it was me of asking Jess to do her voice yeah and thus making Jess more of a presence in Feywild because while Jess is in other games, those other games haven't come out yet. And, you know, we really wanted Jess involved in this story more so than they already are. So what was your just your your first impressions of Sarastra? Because you actually wrote her speech. Yeah, I did. You yeah. wrote her speech, you complete and you started giving her something that she hadn't had yet. As soon as you got in in the room and like we're sitting at the computer, I'm like, well, Sarastra belongs to Jess now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I thought she had room for improvement Uh when I originally read. That's kind. Yeah. Well, I'm not here to be mean for now. (laughs) But I I could see where, where you were going with her and I could understand sort of what she was supposed to be like, but I felt like she definitely needed more flavor and Mm -hmm. like her speech should have been longer and like more i don't know i'm trying to remember it because i wrote it and then read it three times so like and I, for some reason my brain is like what did you say no, <laughs> well, I, I can pull it up no, you don't have to i do have that. it i That's have fine. it but i i liked the idea of her being this sort of like mirror image of celine in appearances only really like there was almost nothing about her to me, that read like it should be similar to Celine beyond penchant for, like, games, mm-hmm. essentially. Which is just a fairy thing. Yeah. And so to have her... A, we had to make sure that all of the things that she said were in line with fairy custom. So she didn't say things like thanks and sorry and there was no apology. There was no, like, no, no direct orders, that kind of a thing. So... 
And she had to also play the royal game of not quite saying in explicit graphic terms what just happened. My father has died is very passive. <laughs> uh, it literally is passive. It's passive voice. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> which was the point. That's why I said it that way. Because I, I wanted her to... I, I wanted it to be clear to the audience, A, that she really did not give a shit that her daddy just died in front of her. No. And also I wanted you to describe what she was doing at the time. Because we had no... There was no description of what Sarastro was doing when her dad got stabbed. Yeah. There was just... The broker stabs him... And then Sarastra makes a speech, which is like the first real description of any action from her that we get. Yeah. And then nothing after that. So I was like, all right, what's she doing? Like, because what I envisioned was she was just like sitting there kind of like with her legs crossed, like leaning a little bit away. (laughs) So she didn't get any blood on her. Just like, a little further over, like get away from me. Can you you stab just a bit further away from me? Yeah, could you, you, don't hit me in the head when you do the wind up. Like, just (laughs) like... So, and it was just very, like, but then her to be like, oh, my God, he died. Oh, my God. Isn't this so sad, everybody? But I'm married now, so. Long live the king. And then, oh, fuck, he's gone. Like, that was so fucking funny when it was described to me. Like, you were like, and then he just disappears. And no one was laughing. And I'm like, that's hilarious. You're just like standing next to your husband and you're like, yes, I have won. We have unified power and I know what I'm up to. Blah, blah, blah. And then he just fucking pops out of existence. Like, oh, that's so funny. We, we, Chris and I keep quoting, like, it appears my husband has disappeared. And like the, the way that you delivered that line where she's saying those words, but what she's what she's saying it like is, I can't believe I have to say these words with my own mouth. Yes, I am saying this out loud with my mouth in front of people. <laughs> and like, for her, basically like, she's just gotta clean, like, and everybody leave. Goodbye. Like, okay, this is a problem. I have to fix this. And everyone has to go away. Thanks for the gifts. Uh, see you never. Like, <laughs> it's kind of the impression that I got. Cause like, that's, it's just so funny. The visual it's so funny to me. <laughs> like, I know in the moment, if you were characters in the audience, that would be kind of like a, uh-oh. <laughs> like, what happened? Like, did he die? <laughs> like, well, he killed that guy. Did he die too? Like, what? Oh, this is kind of serious. But just visually, and I, I always, I know that there probably wasn't a noise, but I always imagined a little there. pop sound. <laughs> and it's just like... <laughs> we should have put one in, just a little pop. And it, like... I, I had the idea of them holding hands because I thought it would be more dramatic for her to be holding his hand, not really looking at him. He's in her periphery, you know, next to her. And then he just disappears and she's like, there's nothing in my hand anymore. What? 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 <laughs> so, yeah, there was just a lot of like, uh, and I wanted some levity for that because that was so heavy. Yeah. It's so heavy. You guys were so tired. <laughs> and then I say some dumb shit and then she fucking... Zoidberg's out like <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore this party is over everyone sucks like and like I wanted it to set up how like much work she feels like she has to do now and how like tense she is because y'all are gonna see her again she's gonna come back yes. but like I wanted that to be like okay 
she doesn't just totally stiff up or like pretend that didn't even happen, like that he didn't just pop out of existence, which is kind of how her speech was before. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, the wedding is over. Goodbye. Like, <laughs> and I wanted it to be this acknowledgement. Or my, my father. He died. He died. <laughs> he has died. <laughs> like, just the very, like... It's like those old comic books that, like, old, like illustrate that and also dictate everything that's going on. Yeah, yeah, basically. But And then I wanted her to just totally, like, he died, but look at how cool I am now. <laughs> like, just totally take it away from the death, the literal bleeding corpse next to them <laughs> on the floor and just make it about her. And Which, that just happens at weddings. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> People die and it's all about the bride. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So Damn people are dying. <laughs> like, I was really excited to have the opportunity to to take this character who has just kind of been this like looming thing, like being mentioned occasionally. We don't really know who she is, and, and is she his wife? Is she his daughter? We don't know, but then we know, and then it's like, okay, now she's here. Oh my god, she does look like Celine. Whoops! Like exactly like Celine. Yeah. Yeah. Except for black hair. Yeah. Like basically, you just got gothed. Yeah. <laughs> More goth. <laughs> yeah. But I, I wanted her to be this like funhouse mirror version of Celine, mm-hmm. where the voice is just off slightly. Which I think it's so funny that people thought that was you. Well, we have a really. That's one of the reasons I asked you is because we have such a similar voice. But I don't think we sound. I don't think our accent sounded at all alike. Like I, when I listen to you and I listen to my voice, I'm like that's completely. I can definitely hear the difference, Mm -hmm. but if people aren't, but the thing, the thing with um, they don't hear me talk. They don't see you talk. Is the difference. People can be really fooled. This is actually how Foley works. When you have like sound effects, (laughs) Foley artists are not always using, like when you hear ice cracking, what you're actually hearing is someone taking their thumb and running it hard against a pine cone. Or spaghetti. Or spaghetti. Like Like, being cracked for like ice cracking. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's how Foley works. If you're not visually seeing what someone's doing, that's, but you do see another visual thing, your mind and you have gets the su- tr- and you have the suggestion. Yeah, your mind gets tricked. So if you didn't know these two kind of can sound similar in recording, you know, without hearing them very often, mm-hmm. that could have tricked you. It's like Celine just upped her. This is like you know the first time most people will have heard me talk too. Mm-hmm. If they didn't come to the, I think mean, I was in one live yeah question mm-hmm. Q and A. Yeah. But and also though we have this buildup of Sarastro looking exactly like Celine, so it makes sense that. <clears throat> they would sound similar. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yeah. I'm not fucking excited to have to keep doing that accent later, but we'll see. Yeah, but I Désolé. do. Do you know how many times I have literally out loud with no prompt or invitation just said, violence, violence. Great. It's my fucking favorite line. So great. It's right up there with chinchilla. <laughs> chinchilla. Yeah, that. Yeah. Oh Those are my two favorite lines so far. Well, I think you did a really good job. Yeah, and I'm really excited for what what Sarastra is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and then we end with season three with Selene and and Talia having like a kind of heart to heart and with crying. With crying and, and like really coming, you know, the full circle of all of the shit that they've kind of put each other through. And Celine can lie again. And Celine can lie again. I have a question about that. Yeah. Had you intended that for that to happen or did I bring it up and you're like, hey that's a cool thing. I I think I had intended for it to happen because it was initially it was directly attached to Celine 
being more connected with the Feywild and specifically speaking with the Moonlit King. It was the Moonlit King's influence. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because I know that I was, uh, we cut this part out, but when Talia asks, like, how are you feeling? And Celine says, fine. I had said, can I say fine? I thought, I wonder if she can still lie. Because that was a huge trauma that she just experienced and a bunch of shit just happened. Does she still have that connection to her face side? Mm-hmm. And nope. Well, she, something. She does. She just doesn't have. It just isn't being powered by something else. Yeah. Yeah. She's she has to actually forge her own fucking connection with her face side. Now. Which, yeah. Yeah, she does. She We'll see if she wants to do that or not. Mm-hmm. And I like that journey. Mm-hmm. I, this, I like the wedding because I feel like it really put shit in perspective for Celine. It did. And it knocked her right off of her high horse. It did. And it made her realize, I have to grow up. It did. Yep. And that's, I'm like, yay, grow. Yep. <laughs> She and and she's hurting for it, mm-hmm. and she's gonna be hurting for a while for it because that sucks. That yeah, it does. Th- that experience, that kind of experience, it sucks, and so she's got to deal with it. But going back to the conversation between Celine and Talia, this was actually in the recording at the very end of the session. We had already done the thing that was at the end of the credits in the episode, and I was like, Talia and Celine need to talk. Yeah. I know that it's like 9 a.m. and we've been up all night, but we need to talk. We need to talk while we're still in there. At least I need to, Mm -hmm. while I'm still in that headspace, and we need to bring it back to them. I remember cutting that out. Yeah. Or at least being part. No, you, did you edit 60? I think I did, yeah. Yeah, you did. You edited 60. I edited Both RE2 and RE3? I don't know if I did RE3. You did the the, the RE2 because... And you, because we were, you were concerned about the conversation and like that right. it was too slow and stuff. And then you, yeah, yeah. But anyway, okay. And so, I'm glad that it did that because that conversation is really important. Yeah. That it brings it back to these two, and that they've both just been through hell, and they needed to reconnect and reaffirm that they're together in all of this, mm-hmm. and um, they Celine needed to apologize. For some things. And Talia needed to apologize as well. Yeah. So I think that, that that was a good way to end the season and with a little nod to her wings of like one turning white. Yeah. And it's like, I wonder what that means. And that's kind of where we end things. Yeah. And I thought that that was a really sweet way to end it. I th- I'm, I'm glad that it wraps up kind of stuff that, that has been kind of hanging in the air since season two. Mm-hmm. It kind of started with that big fight that they had about... Talia's second deal with the broker and how, like, you don't trust me or, like, you're making all these decisions without me. And that fight didn't really get resolved. It just kind of ended. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it didn't get resolved really until this moment. Yeah. And that, like, Talia admits, I didn't know what I was doing and you got hurt and I'm sorry. And Celine saying, I realized that you were just doing what you thought was right mm-hmm. and I shouldn't be holding that against you because you weren't doing it out of malice. Yeah. I think it's, it's good to... It gives them both... Like, it, it gives the story perspective of how they were feeling and a sense that, you know, as we go forward, they're going to move on from those things mm-hmm. and kind of grow from there. And, you know, so we can have new, new things. Yeah. I think that's but, important, <clears throat> though, with... Uh, I think that's important, though, with the love story we're trying to tell. Yeah. Because... The fairy tale romance just kind of ends when the two, the 
two parts of the couple get together and you never really see any friction or struggle or growth. Mm -hmm. And like fights happen, hurt feelings happen. This idea of that if you really love someone, you'll never hurt them. I don't really think that's realistic because people are flawed Mm -hmm. and people fuck up and make mistakes. And you just try to do your best afterwards. Mm -hmm. So I like that. They both realize that they kind of fucked up and that they're going to have to change. They both have to change their behavior, especially Celine is going to have to change her behavior going forward. It was I, I actually argued with you a lot because I wanted it to the sequence of events in the episode. I really wanted that to be the end of the episode completely and take that the thing we have at the end of the credits, put it where it was in in the recording, because that happened first chronologically in the recording yeah. and in and in the timeline technically. But and I argued with you about this up until the end, and you mm-hmm. were just like, "Nope, I'm gonna I'm the director. I get to do what I want." And I was like, "Okay, fine." I was right. And then the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah. So this was great while we were recording this because. They didn't tell me that they were doing this. Yeah. Chris and Molly did not tell me that they were doing this. We, so. we had discussed this a bit beforehand. So after after the broker vanishes from the wedding, I take over as DM. And I'm sitting here, like, and Chris is talking about all this stuff, and I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, what are you doing? And I'm looking at Molly, and Molly's just kind of listening, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then... <laughs> did I fall asleep? <laughs> yeah, like, did I miss something? And then... Chris, is this a dream? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> yeah. Hello? <laughs> did I fall into the Twilight Zone and or she what? she manages to stay completely silent up until I... Yeah, because I'm thinking real hard. <laughs> like... <laughs> 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 she doesn't, like, even stop. It's like, what are you guys doing? Nothing. She just is like... Silent, and all of a sudden, I mentioned it's like you are standing at the center of crossroads. And we had, and and we knew that we had already planned that we were going to do a second game called Crossroads, and kind of started some initial planning for it. But that's when it hit me: this has to do with Crossroads, and, and the, the so, noise I made. So, and you can hear it in the. You can't hear her noise, but. You can hear, like, how quiet everything is and how softly I'm saying this because I'm trying to make it sound, like, eerie and sinister. And then all of a sudden, <gasps> like, but way louder. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, the noise it, that came it out hit of me the, like a brick of, like, this is now. crossroads. And it was like, ah! <laughs> It's on the bloopers. You'll you got it. We got to put it in the bloopers. You'll hear it. But it's, it's worth it's worth your two bucks a month, five bucks a month, just to hear this because it's <laughs> hilarious. Because that broke everybody out of everybody. Everybody. Yeah. I had it scared the piss out of me. It scared everybody, including me. I didn't <laughs> like my body did it without my without without me. I just did it. A ghost came out. Yeah. <laughs> and, like. So we had to take a break after that to calm down because we were all laughing so hard because everybody was tired and now startled. <laughs> it was great. It was. It was. Really it was and like kudos to, to y'all for editing that episode and not even there's not even a hint of that there was a big no, break. No, there wasn't. No, <laughs> it's it comes off. I. So this was the thing that I was really concerned about when we were talking about it in editing, because they were like, okay, at the end of the episode, we're going to put this thing after the credits. And I was like, oh, neat. 
neat. This after the credits thing. This will be fun. It'll be like two minutes. It's half fucking hour. And I was like, excuse me? That's ridiculous. No one is going to sit and listen to that. And then I listened to it and I was like, I'm riveted. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, holy shit. Because you, Chris, are a fucking genius. The rock star, motherfucker, so good. Like, I was like... <laughs> now imagine being at the table and watching them just, like... Just totally, Just yeah. easily take over, take on the persona mm-hmm. of Ilika. And I'm just... I'm over here, like... Your chewing, accent is fucking... I'm just chewing on my binder, like... Ah. No, actually, you were crocheting really hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can kind of... You, you took up most of the clicks, but some of them made them in. I'm just like... <gasps> <laughs> like, Looking back and, and forth between you can them, I just hear these like little tiny clicks that just keep getting faster. And crocheting so much, yeah. And it like your accent is Ilika is so consistent and really. You were concerned that you insulted the broker too much was something that that happened, and you were like, "Man, I really think that I just laid into him." And the way that you interspersed, because you really didn't, you didn't like spend a monologue like <laughs> you are garbage. You know, and here's why to the painting him like you were. You just, you peppered it in, like just little digs at fairy kind in general. And it was really good. It really set up how the the, the, de- the demon look mm-hmm. on how they, did we say her name? We have, yeah, we have to call Ilica. her name out. No, we okay. did No, she, she specifically said, you can she call did. me Ilica. Oh, okay. Because she was making fun of the facts, like, I have so many names. Like, that's how you fairies deal yeah. with it, right? And you can hear them all. I don't give a fucking shit. <laughs> 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 yeah. But yeah, like, and they're worth nothing. Here you go, have some more. Yeah, bad <laughs> names. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> Sound the broker makes. <laughs> yes, it just cannot. It's it is canon. Yeah. It's so fun. The whole the whole setting up the the way that demons view fairies and like the the just the power imbalance, like it's like, oh, this is fun, like they're they're circling each other, like and he's like, mm, yeah, this is great. This is a little crossroads demon, whatever. And then she's like, mm, by the way, I own you, bitch. Yeah. And he's like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, could you excuse me? Could you could you could you say that a little slower for me, please? I've had a long day. Yeah, what was that? <laughs> like it should have fucking clicked in his brain when he was spirited away from his wedding without his consent or power. Like yeah. he was just like papa and like, <laughs> appears in the middle of a field or crossroads or whatever. Like, and he's like, ah, yes, I bought an equal playing field with this person who could control my manifestation and different <laughs> planes of existence. Uh-huh. And it's like, you <laughs> And I loved it because I hate him. So it was just like, this beautiful comeuppance. And I'm immediately like, hey, Ilika, are you single? Like, <laughs> get in line. <laughs> but like... And you're so good. Like your voice, your whole everything changes, and the way you, the way that the her lines roll out of your mouth, you just like get her and like fuck, man. It's so good. And I was like, all right, we could leave this half hour in. <laughs> yeah, Molly and I had come up with with some background stuff because, like, again, Crossroads has kind of been hinted at. We've been talking about 
what that you know what we're gonna do with it. It's been on the Patreon for two years. Yeah, yeah. as a goal. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, spoilers. It's going into production. So woo. Uh, but that is, Mom, not, that is that is not the super secret Patreon project that we've been talking no, about. Crossroads no, Crossroads is public. Pa- Crossroads is public. It will be public. Patreon, of course, will get it. You know, episodes Early. first, yeah, yeah, but yeah. just like Baywilds. Um, but that's not the super secret project. And um, but you know, Molly and I had kind of discussed some shit. And I kind of proposed to her this idea of like, hey, at the end, how about we do this? And she yeah. was just like, oh, I really like that idea. <gasps> yeah. yeah. And the, the the reason why I wanted to do that was because I wanted to tie in that Feywilds and Crossroads are connected, but they're not like connected at the hip. Mm-hmm. Like stuff that happens in Feywilds will affect Crossroads. And some things that happen in Crossroads may affect, like will affect Feywilds sort of. But they're separate stories. So you could technically skip the end. You could have like skipped the broker and Illica completely. But why would you want to? I mean, yeah. you could have because that's just an extra bit of story for on the broker's end. And it's a preview of kind of a hint of what's going on in Crossroads. But you could technically skip it if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. But I thought that that was a fun way to introduce, like, hey, that project that we've been kind of talking about, which is why I made emphasis on you are standing in the middle of Crossroads. And that's when it hit me. Yeah, like, yeah. that was kind of a hint to the audience. It's like, hey, this other project we've been talking about, it's on its way. The name of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Crossroads. I don't know. I thought it would be No, fun. I like it. I thought it would be a fun idea. Um, it had mixed reactions. But everybody see like the majority of the people seem to really like Illica, so that was good. Every, it's always good when the people like yeah, like the perceived you know jerk. She bad. Yeah, she bad guy. Like I don't think we can. I don't think that's a spoiler to say Illica is a bad dude. Yes. <laughs> like just an, you know, just an FYI if you didn't know, you know. But I like fun villains. I like villains yeah. that are like kind of like hey, hey, let's have some fun before I totally go after your ass, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That sort of thing. Yeah, and I very much enjoyed the realization from the broker that he had no power. <laughs> that he yeah. just was like, "Oh, shit." Yeah. What was what was uh what were your thoughts around that? Uh, it was. What were the so two much... of you? What were the two of you thinking? Well, so it was it was so much fun to be playing him in that moment, just because of how fucking screwed he was. But at the same time. His brain is always moving, and mm-hmm. so it's just like, okay, she has power over me, but she is also offering me power. Also, I just learned the fact, I just learned the fact that my wife, who is a fairy, lied to me. Mm-hmm. Learning just how fucked he was, but also learning that and there's an opportunity here. Mm-hmm. If I play along, which... Doesn't, it doesn't seem like this is going to cost me much. I can get power in exchange for this. Dumbass. What's really funny is that Megzi, while we were like going through this, and because I worked, uh, the last episode, I worked my ass off on all the, the sound effects and stuff like that. Um, as we were editing that, Megzi looks over at me. She's like, could he, could he have gotten out of the deal? Yeah. Like, I was listening to everything that Ilika was saying, and it was like, she never said, like, and now you have to also be... You are also... now. You are now contractually obligated to make good on this guy's deal. Could he have asked, like, do I have to? Or can I just go back? Like, he's dead. I didn't make that deal. He did. All, she, all he had to say was, I don't want a deal. 
But the way that she started, but, but the way she was taught, she did this on mm-hmm. purpose. She knows fairies and she knows fairies like to read between the lines. And she knows that, And she knows that fairies know that demons don't do that. So she was playing a word game with him, which is basically saying, like, she was implying that it's like, yes, now it's your turn to make a deal. And I can change it for you to make it more, like, to better suit your needs without actually saying you don't actually need to take the deal. You just say you don't want it. But she was... It played him at his own game. But she was was counting on the fact that the broker wanted something. Mm -hmm. And that's how she got him. And also, part of it is the very idea that ownership passes with titles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that includes curses. Yeah. That that includes... So this was... So this was... On the broker's part, not realizing that demon deals don't necessarily go along with mantles. Yeah, because he's in the space of, I'm the Moonlit King. I own all the things the Moonlit King own. Mm-hmm. Which was what I thought, because I was like, he can't get out of it because he doesn't think that he can. Like, he thinks that he owns this deal. Exactly, yeah. which in in reality, Illica did say, it's like, you know, as long as you hold that title, I hold your contract. Which is true. She does hold a contract with the Moonlight King, but you as the new Moonlight King could have just said, I don't want this contract anymore. But he couldn't have because but he didn't he know that he could. That. Yeah, he couldn't have. So and it's it really still funny. like didn't really. I still he I still think it also doesn't really occur to him that other powerful beings can lie too. like it's so he's so used to not being able to outright lie about stuff that like. She's she's speaking to him. She's insulting fairies and shit like that, talking about how stupid they are. And like, but she's also speaking in the same way that they speak. So he's getting this like, these crossed wires about this. Like this is a crossroads demon, but she sounds like a fairy. So we playing a fairy game. And like, she can totally lie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure she says. She's yeah. like, yeah, I can lie. Like, you yeah, she, suck. De- most demons, uh, most demons and devils, you know, have, are very much like humans or other mortals. Is like they can lie. They have no limitations to their their mm-hmm. language. So they view fairies as like it's like what brain? You know, it's like what crossed your wire? You yeah. know that you know didn't allow you to do that. That's that's dumb. You know, you are broken. That yeah. is a be- this is a big design flaw. Yeah. But you know, she outright says she can lie, mm-hmm. and but she was counting on the fact that the broker wanted something, yeah. and you oh, know, he did. and yeah. he did, and he fell for it hook, line, and sinker. So that's pretty funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was primed for it. Mm-hmm. I think you uh, you had him in an unfamiliar situation. He was uh, completely caught off guard. Like he had to recover from it, and he had to. He'd just been in a fairy wedding and he just finished his fairy business. And like, so he's just all all over the place. Yeah. He just, and he deserved it. <laughs> yeah. It was fun to play Alika. I'm looking forward to, to, to having her be in Crossroads. I'm looking forward to Crossroads. It's going to yeah. be fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's a game that Chris is DMing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I am DMing Crossroads. Uh, Molly, Megzi, and Jess are all playing in it. Jess is playing more of a grouping of characters. But um, Molly and Megzi will be like the main NPCs, so to speak. I'm not doing French again. No, I'm not doing French. <laughs> I don't think there's a big Mortalian presence in District 5. No. <laughs> They're on the ocean. Well, that wraps up season three. Any final thoughts from people? 
Season three was definitely a learning experience for everybody. And, you know, obviously we made a lot of mistakes, but I think that those mistakes are going to help us in future seasons if we have the same problem. The upside of having growing pains is that you grow. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. One can only hope. And now we have another pair of eyes on stuff. Um, and now we have a little bit more freedom since we finished the game and we can actually like dig in and start, you know, making things a little bit more cohesive mm-hmm. and less, yeah. I want to say less like a and d game, but I don't think we're going to lose the fact that it's definitely a and d game, but yeah. it is definitely going to be more of a cohesive story. And yeah, I mean, we still got, I know there was like a, a mini panic on Discord. Shit's got eight seasons. Like this was not the end of, of Tally and Celine. Yeah. There's an not end. even a little bit. Yeah. We, we They've got eight seasons at the very least, yeah. if not more. So, you know, all of those plot threads that have kind of never been touched again, they're not over. They just took a break. So I'm looking forward to season four. Season four was a fun romp. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's hoping they actually get brown this time because, you know, it's been a minute. Here's hoping. <laughs> like, you don't fucking know what happens. I don't. I have to wait till next season to find out. Great. The other big change that is coming to season four is we are switching to bi-weekly episodes. Being, doing an episode a week with the resources we have and how much we put into them has become unmanageable. Yeah. And so we are switching to bi-weekly episodes, which means that... The season will last probably longer than a year, which the previous three seasons have been about a year. But I think it will allow us time to be more careful and thorough with how the episodes are crafted and also to start on some other things and take some time for ourselves, maybe. Yeah, I would like to have some time off to like play video games without feeling horrendously guilty. (laughs) <laughs> so, but hopefully with the three editors now, mm-hmm. um, we'll have, you know, with the bi-weekly episodes, this also means we are starting up bonus round again. We have that super secret project and we'll have crossroads eventually towards next year. Thinking um, like quarter, we're thinking, quarter two of 2022. Yeah, we're, we're thinking around there is when we're going to try for it. We'll make updates, obviously, as that comes. But I think, and and I'm sorry if this just points anybody but I think the bi-weekly episodes is going to be better for everybody's mental health. And it'll be, be- it'll be better for everybody's mental health, and it'll make for a better show. I think so, too. Yeah. yeah. So Because we'll actually have time if something isn't working or we want to change something. And well, we can't change it now because the episode's due in two days or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's a better strategy for everybody. Yep, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. So. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you're going to be getting more content, like, overall, more varied content. Because once Crossroads starts coming out, like, for public... For people who have Patreon, that's four shows for you. Yeah. <laughs> and for people, for public listeners, that's two shows for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it, it, there's a lot of shit coming. And we're working on more Patreon rewards as well um, across all four shows. And we'll have a lot of content for you. But with three full-time jobs and someone going back to school. Yeah. Uh, it, it's It's better this way for our schedules. Yeah. Well, on that note, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, Thank you all for coming over to our house and discussing this stuff. It's been really fun and insightful. And uh, cathartic. And cathartic, even. So on that note, everybody, 
stay legendary. Bye. Bye. Bye.